0: chains were fastened tight down at the jail that night still Paul and Silas would not be dismayed they said it's time to lift our voice sing praises to the Lord let's prove that we will trust him come what may to talk to you about a uh, subject in Numbers chapter 11, verse 24 through 30. The difference between a young man's perspective and an old man's perspective. The difference between a young man's perspective and an old man's perspective, I think, is what we learn in this passage. And I'm not going to read this passage right away, but I'll be to it in a minute. Hopefully you'll bear with me. Why has God generally chosen older men to manage his work. Now, right away, I might as well just say this. And if you're hearing this rubs you completely the wrong way, you stick with me to the end. Don't leave. But God in the Bible evidently, very evidently, has chosen men to lead his his work and his world. Um, Adam was made the head of it. Everything was put under his feet, and from then, uh, going down through the Bible, uh, we just see over and over, men were made in the leadership. Abraham, of course, Isaac, Jacob, going all the way down to Joseph. Of course, the 12 tribes were all men. The leadership of the 70 elders that were picked by Moses to try to help him were all men. And you just go down through the whole Bible. The disciples that Jesus personally handpicked were all men. Uh, the uh, deacons, Acts chapter three, which your first, Acts chapter six, excuse me, were your first deacons, uh, were all men. And uh, to be a husband of one wife, kind of makes you male, right? Husband of one wife. One of the qualifications of deacons in Timothy there and Titus. So we just see that the leadership. Is God's? It's just God's way, and it never says that necessarily men are better than women. Because I think in heaven there'll be no male nor female. I think that's what the Bible says. Uh, we're people, but now on this earth there are differences between, and this may come as a surprise to our Supreme Court, but there's differences between men and women. It's fundamental to the teaching of the Bible. It is foundational. To the teacher, this is not out there on the edge of theology and the fuzzy, maybe, area or what people may call the gray area of theology. This is kind of what I'm talking to you about is fundamental ground level to even the old farmer, amen. To multiply chickens, you have to have a rooster and a hen. Two hens do not make chicks. That's deep, eh. Of course, our our uh, Supreme Court doesn't understand that. Those educate, They're overly educated, at least five of them at that time. But there's a perspective here that I think is is noteworthy. All the Bible, we're supposed, as a pastor, I'm supposed to teach the whole counsel of God. The good, the bad, and I call the ugly. The, the part you like, the part you don't like, and the part that really rubs you the wrong way. We're supposed to teach it all. A pastor, you ought to pray for your pastor not just me, but anywhere you're a member of outside here, you want to pray for your pastor that he teaches the whole counsel of God. Let me tell you, there's a lot of pressure on a pastor not to teach all the counsel, but just to teach some of it. The parts that people like to hear, but sometimes you need to get up, just do what God says to do, and take it, and the wind blows where it wills, that's the way it is. But you just speak the truth, of course, in love. The word elder the word elder appears some 178 times in the Old Testament in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for elder. A definition is, you may have already guessed, the word elder means ancient, old, experienced in life. I hate to refer to myself as ancient, but to a 20-year-old, I am ancient. You remember when you were 20, what you thought of a 40-year-old? They're washed up, done, over. When you were 15, you thought a 30-year-old was, oh, they've already peaked out, they're going downhill. I remember those times, looking at those old, yeah, man, they're old. Well, a 60-year-old, a 70-year-old, 80-year-old, wow! Socorro, he knew Moses. The Levites In the Old Testament, the ones that served at the temple uh, were to be no younger than 30 years old when they started. Now, this is interesting to say they were to be no older than 50. Now, why? I believe I can tell you why they were to be no older than 50, not just because of their perspective of life, not just because of the seriousness of mind, but they actually had to be strong physically. The Levites participated in the sacrificing of the animals, the uh, cleaning of the animals, the... Have you ever cleaned an animal? Don't, don't, you don't have to raise your hand, but I, I mean, if you ever, I shot a lot of, one, one year I killed 40 wild pigs, and I had a deal with, a, with a, a, you know, chain or it was a cable and everything, and I'd, I'd put them up on the cable and winch them, and then I'd, you know, have to skin all the hair off of them, and then I'd have to quarter them and then have to take a, the meat off and divide it up and all that. It's, it's a lot of work. You had to pick that thing up. Like, I got stories about my wife trying to help me Clean some hogs on the field. That she just really loved that. Oh my nails. Oh well. But I think these Levites had to be strong enough to do the work, and he didn't want anybody over fifty years old to be there. So the Levites were thirty to fifty. I don't know if that's the peak of a human being or not. Thirty to fifty. We're out we're over the hill, doc. Thirty to thirty to fifty. Uh, the leaders of the twelve tribes were called elders. Uh, Why? Proven character. You got to live long enough to prove who you are. Prove your character through time and trials. Older in age, why? For wisdom and perspective. Knowledge is, uh, wisdom is how to use knowledge. And so it takes time for wisdom. Wisdom doesn't usually come easily or quickly. Uh, Moses, if you think about Moses, maybe the greatest leader, at least the most well-known leader. Beside Abraham, Moses was the most well-known leader in the Old Testament, right? Most of you know Moses? Yeah, I hope so. Uh, if not, you can talk to Sikora. He knew him. is back there. I hope he heard that. But Moses was 40 years old. And he spent the first 40, at 40 years old, he had spent the first 40 years of his life learning how to be a somebody. The Bible says he learned all the knowledge of Egypt. He he had the wisdom and the understanding and the technical knowledge of a lot of things, possibly geometry and maybe trigonometry, who knows what those boys, I'll tell you something, they, knew, they had to know some of that to build what they built. And so for the first 40 years, he learned how to be somebody. But then what happened? He thought he was ready for leadership. I'm ready to to lead the children of Israel. But guess what? He wasn't ready yet. God said, oh, Moses, you got to go another 40 years of basic training. I'm not going to basic training. We're talking about get rid of all them fancy clothes you're wearing and go out into the wilderness, and, and you're going to be a sheep herder for the most part, which the Egyptians, for some reason or another, despised sheep herders. They had an anathema for sheep herders, and that's exactly what, isn't it interesting, God had him do something that, that he was taught to literally despise, and so he got to be a sheep herder for 40 years, uh, married a humble, instead of marrying one of, them, one of them beauties of Egypt, he married him a sheep girl and uh, a rough and ready uh, country girl that knew how to work, and he married her and had a couple of kids, and so and, and, and he was 80 years old. So they say this. They say the first 40 years, Moses learned how to be somebody. The second 40 years, he learned how to be nobody. That made him qualified to be somebody. Because at 80 years old, he saw the burning bush, and God says, okay, you're ready. He said, he thought he was ready at 40, but he wasn't ready. God says, no, now you're ready. And so you can lead my people. Now go back in there and take them out. And he gave, he argued with God then, gave him five questions, questioned God five different ways. Whoa. So the first 40 years, he learned how to be somebody. The second 40 years, he learned how to be nobody. In the last 40 years of his life, he lived 120. He learned how to be somebody who thought he was a nobody. And that made him a good leader. And indeed, Moses was one of the greatest leaders of any time in history. But this word elder, and, and pastor, which is an office in the New Testament, uh, has something to do with age. The word elder pastor is the same office, and so it has to do something with age. We're, we're warned in the New Testament not to get anybody in leadership that's too young. First Timothy 3.6 says, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. In 1 Timothy 3, 7 it says, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. Takes a little bit of time for that. Lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil, uh, which is interesting, twice there in two verses, 1 Timothy 3, 6, and 7, it warns about pride, it warns about condemnation of the devil and the snare of the devil. So as you get older in Christ, you learn some things about what it means to live the Christian life. Because before you can lead, you should be able to be established in what it means to be a Christian and to have some trials come under your belt, some testings come under your belt, and some humbling things come under your belt that you can know how to go to God before you start telling other people how to go to God. The word elder or elders, plural, occurs 69 times alone in the New Testament. This emphasizes the importance of age, no doubt, the experience of managing God's house. I also, if I may say, impetuousness impetuousness is often associated with youth, and it helps you be more tempered in your decision-making. So now we're ready to look at a text. Numbers chapter 11, verse 24 to 30. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered to 70 men of the elders of the people, and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him, the Lord spake to him, and took the spirit that was upon him, that is Moses, and gave it unto the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, that's that 70 elders, they prophesied and did not cease. He began to speak about God. And there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and, and the name of the other was Medad and the Spirit rested upon them. Now, they weren't part of that 70. And they were of them that were written, in other words, they knew they were noted, but went not out of the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. Now, so you got the 70 elders who had the Spirit of God come from Moses and go to them. Part of the Spirit was taken off Moses, spirit of wisdom, understanding, and what really makes up the Holy Spirit, was given to these 70 men, which were going to help Moses judge about two, two to two and a half million people. He needed help. He's wearing himself out. And so there were these other Medad and Eldad were in the camp, and the Spirit of God came upon them, and they began to they began to prophesy. And look at verse 27, and there ran a young man. I want you to notice that, a young man. And told Moses, and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, notice what it says, one of his young men, so Joshua was young, Answered and said, my Lord, Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, look at the answer. I think it surprised everybody except Moses. Envious thou thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them? And Moses got into the camp and the elders of Israel to lead God's people Without killing them, or dividing them, or discouraging them, the Bible is clear that some age is required. Why? Well, let me list a few things that often go with being a youth. Impetuousness, as I said before. Sometimes youth is known to be short-tempered. Imagine that. Reactionary. Imagine that. Overly strict. Overkill, they call it. Overly judgmental, severe. Lack of insight about the big picture. Sometimes youth will sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate just so that they're right. This is some of the best marriage counsel you have ever heard, I can tell you this. For some reason in my mind, I'm thinking of a husband and wife, same kinds of issues. I mean, these are overlapping, no doubt. Uh, the youth sometimes will care more about being right than than saving the person. Uh, they're willing to sacrifice people on for, so that they're right. They can be corrupted with the, with the power. Total power corrupts totally. And they can be lifted up with pride, and we know that from what we read. Will not agree to disagree. Sometimes you just got to, for the sake of the whole, for the sake of the peace of the whole, you just got to agree to disagree on something that's not solvable. Amen? This is great. marriage. I'm going to change my whole sermon, how to be happily married. Agree to disagree. But I'm right. No, I'm right. Which way do you which way do you put the toilet paper on a spindle where it goes over the top or up from underneath? You know, there have been wars over that thing. I just changed one the other day. I go to public restrooms. If it's underneath, I change it. I'm getting in there and flip it over to the top. I was in somebody's house. They don't know this. I was in somebody's house and I changed it in their house. I said, man, they don't even know where how to put the toilet paper on the thing. <laughs> Imagine when I was twenty. Whew. Often, a youth is cannot be reasonable about things. But of all these shortfalls, some of the more dangerous shortfalls of of getting someone too young and putting them in leadership are they have a serious trouble with anger. And a temper, by the way, your temper and your anger does not work the righteousness of God. And we all said, don't be mad at me, James 1.20, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. It's the book. Um, I have struggled with anger. How many here have struggled with anger? Eh, the rest of you are lying, huh? How many here have struggled with fear? Usually those are the two biggies, fear and anger. The ones who struggle with anger put the fear in the one. <laughs> no, But m- most time people do not have anger problems and fear problems. They have fear problems, but they don't have anger problems. Or they have anger problems, but they don't have fear problems. Rarely, r- rarely, rarely those two things dwell in the same person. Thank the Lord, hallelujah. But if you have an anger problem and you don't get a grip on it, you're going to be alone at the end of your life. They will not call you sweet willy. (laughs) Um, This anger will hurt you because you will make decisions based on the anger. And the Bible says the wrath of man, the anger of man, he does not and cannot work the righteousness of God. Now, you know God gets angry. He's not talking about flesh anger because God gets angry at sin. He gets angry what they call righteous indignation. That is a holy anger, but he, but he's merciful and tempers all of that with his mercy and grace, or we wouldn't be here. I am a recipient of the grace of God, though he was not happy with a lot of what I did early on, but I'm sure he was angry with me. The Bible says he's angry with the wicked every day, but he gives them a sunrise, a sunset, he gives them food, he gives them water, he gives them rain. You see the difference? A young guy will say, cut their head off. Also, what can happen is a young person can have a lack of flexibility. Hmm. Lack of flexibility. Imagine that. Often rigid to the sacrifice of the whole. I remember when I was in my early 30s, I was talking to Jim McCollum, first two deacons of the church, Jim McCollum, Ernie Stewart. And I was talking to our, 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 really, our second pastor. We had an interim pastor, V.L. Martin. Then we had our second, our first real full-time pastor was Pastor Harry McKinney. I worked under pastor Harry McKinney for 11 and a half years and pastor I, there was a situation came up where somebody really did something that was just to me just absolutely inexcusable and I just said well they ought to be you know and he said you know preacher he's he said he was used to call me pastor bill, preacher bill I think he said you're never going to be a senior pastor unless you get over that That was pretty tough words. I never wanted to be a senior pastor, number one. But secondly, he said, but you'll never be with that kind of of spirit. I just wanted to kill him and go down the road. You know, it's been said of fundamentalists. It's it's the cleanest, simplest way. It's been said of fundamentalists, they kill their wounded. That's what we've been accused of. Oftentimes because we have not had this gift of flexibility. We're not willing to be disagreed with for a time we just we we just we just want to kill. Them. We don't want to do that, and and take them out. No, often too rigid. Uh, God God teaches us through nature. Uh, we look around. We had a hurricane recently. Uh, it was I think it was called Irma, and Irma came by my house. The north. I live ten miles inland. The northeast corner of Irma's eye went over my house. Now that's the strongest part of the storm. We went through that storm with no problem when it was blowing 100, blowing 110, ten and five, that was fine. But at 530, you okay, hon? Someone go with you? All right. We have a doctor in the house, you know. Someone want to go with you? You okay? All right. Um, You can go the other way, though. Surely go that way and meet her and make sure she is okay. My preaching will kill you. Be careful. But Irma came by. My trees, I love my trees. I shouldn't, but I love my trees. Planted most of them, and and they were just doing this. I mean, those trees were doing this. Those trees were bent. I mean, those trees were bent over. Sometimes that wind would go 120 but we ended up having 143-mile-an-hour wind. For 530 to 630, almost all the trees in my property that went down went down from 530 to 630. All of a sudden, on my porch where I was standing on the lea. my porch began to have seismic. Literally, the wind was going so loud, my, the ground was shaking. The ground was shaking. You could feel the ground just set there. and Because it was a sound like a freight train. That was pretty poor, wasn't it? It was like a freight train sound. And and, then it was just, it was, the rain was going completely horizontal, and my trees started going down. Boom, 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 boom. Boy, I'll tell you what, they gave it a good try. They bent, they bent over almost to touching the ground. And let me say, as a human being, when the trials come by your house, if you aren't willing to do some bending, now, now, my trees never uprooted themselves and moved, they just bent. You with me on this? There are some people who, when things come, they change their roots. Don't do that. The truth is the truth is the truth. And you stick with the truth. You may bend over to where you almost feel like you can't stand it, and and and. but by the grace of God, being flexible is not compromising truth. It is being willing to, for a while, help somebody by not just annihilating with rigidity and bending some, but ultimately you never move off what is really true. But you got to be flexible. Like I say, fabulous marriage counsel on this. I've heard women say, I can't stand my husband because he wears his T-shirt to bed. Now look, you need to be flexible on the T-shirt thing. I had a woman tell me one time, I can't stand the way he eats. He makes a little funny noise the way he eats. And she was ready to dump him. Nobody in this auditorium. I wouldn't tell a story if you if you come to me. I'm not going to tell you a story. When you leave, though, I will tell it. But anyway, but <laughs> not by name. I never told you any names of any of these people. Preach, they'll come out and say, Preach, you were talking about me. Look, I they didn't know your name. No, I, I don't do that. But you know, the... the, the The way the guy eats, I can't stand the way. Well, you first of all need to become more flexible. Ask God for grace and look somewhere else. You know, when you eat, look at your food. Look over here, you know. Do what all the kids do. Look at your iPhone. But don't compromise a position. My mother used to say, quit eating with your... Mouth, quit talking with your mouth full. How many, how many? remember that? Quit talking with your mouth full. God bless every one of your moms. Quit talking with your mouth full. I'm glad she taught me that, because I'll be honest with you, that'd bother me if my wife was talking while I have food coming out, spitting on the but. But I'd be flexible. Now, when I was 20, I wouldn't be flexible. I'd want to kill her. Difference between youth and age is oftentimes a young person just don't even want to, hit, they just want to kill the situation move on. I'm like, no, there's more valuable there. I can live with this because by the grace of God, uh, it's worth living for, and I said I would live this way for better, for worse, sickness, health, to rich, report, poor, get to his part, and I gave it before the whole, I'm going to do it. Be flexible. Be flexible. Sometimes uh, youth will not see the big picture. These people in Moses, these young people in Moses, uh, these two guys prophesying outside of their outside of their little sanctified group ain't like that these people aren't part of our group they're not in our circle well if they don't have the big b if they don't have something they don't sign us there they don't they don't sign a the dotted line they can't be part of our deal can they he said man i wish everybody i wish everybody had the spirit of god i wish everybody had it. Well, what a difference between the young Joshua and the old Moses. Moses was like, "Nah, it'll be all right." I hope they all speak. I hope they all prophesy. But they didn't. What happened to the, the, Joshua was he didn't see the big picture. Uh, he he saw the immediate decision that it wasn't uh, in that seventy, but he didn't look down the road. Moses looked down the road. I think only that can be gained through living, through life experience, through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, which. Is, is is a slow thing that begins to come. I think another thing is the Bible mentions over and over about youth is pride. Why don't you pick a, 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 a novice because of pride? You'll get caught up because there's a certain enjoyment that comes along with power. Ah, Certain ego feeding that comes along with power. You all agree with that, right? You've seen it enough, haven't you? Um, there's a puffing up that comes along with power. By the way, knowledge too. If you get real, if you're real smart and have photographic memory and you remember a bunch of stuff other people can't remember, all of a sudden you think you're better than they are. Are you? No. Just because you can do calculus and maybe somebody can't divide or add or multiply doesn't make you a better person. Some of the most wicked people in the world were some of the smartest people in the world. Y'all see that? Uh-huh. Uh, uh, pride will, will be a, is a form of self-deception. And, and power will cause you to think of yourself more highly than you should. Like your opinion somehow weighs in possibly better than other folks when it may not. It also, there's a certain invincibility that goes with power. Uh, And and it kills the one with it. I think you can look at history. Examples in history are literally litter history with examples that power came and it destroyed them. We had a, at Bob Jones University we had dorm supervisors and we had hall supervisors and we had room supervisors. We needed a lot of supervision. So we would, they would. They would go through the list of people that they felt could withstand power and they would pick a room supervisor. Then they'd pick a hall supervisor. Well, when I went there, they thought I was a rebel for some reason. And they put me right beside the hall supervisor and they put, get me with a really a senior room supervisor. My room supervisor could withstand the power. He handled power well. My hall supervisor got to be Adolf Hitler the second. I mean, that old boy, and they had to relieve him of his command because he thought he his word was like in stone, you know? And so... He was beginning to to hurt people unnecessarily because of his lack of flexibility, his lack of seeing the big picture, and he would do things and say things. Eventually, the complaints got big enough that, and so I talked to, as the years went by, two or three years down the road, I talked to the the man who appointed all those people for leadership. He says, it's a hard job. He says, we look at them and we think, okay, This person's got good. We'll put him in as a hall director or a dorm supervisor. And he says, sometimes it's the worst thing ever happened to those folks. That power corrupts them totally. Before that, they were good. Once they got the power, it hurt them. It takes some time. That's what the Bible says. Don't give a novice power. Don't do it. Because he'll, he'll get caught up in his... Pride, and the devil will condemn him. The devil's going to condemn him. And it'll hurt everything. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 6 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And that wasn't God humble you. You don't want God to humble you. You want to humble yourself. When God humbles you, whoo, doggies, it's awful, it's tough. But you want to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you, and this is a key phrase, in due time. In other words, there has to be a period of time Till he decides, finally sees, okay, you're, you've grown to the place. You know, the Bible says, grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That so means there's a actual growing period where, where you the, these these three 20-somethings that, that saying that special are not going to be the same people when they're 30, and they're not going to be the same people when they're 40, and they're not going to be the same people when they're 50. You understand how that works. Hopefully they'll be better, amen? Well, I may insult them a little bit by saying, what do you mean better? Well, you'll find out. But the most successful leaders are those who have old, they're old enough to have life experience and trials under their belt. And I'm going to say this one straight up and down. A successful leader does not desire leadership, they really just want to serve God and be a follower. A successful leader are, in my experience, and I believe biblically, are those, did Moses want to be a leader? He absolutely argued with God Almighty at the burning bush. Now, I don't know many people do that. I mean, first of all, you got a bush in the desert that is tender dry. Now, you people from Texas know what I'm talking about. You know those tender dry bushes, you put a match to them, they actually explode, you said, when they when they caught on fire, they explode. The tumbling tumbleweed. They explode. And that was what it was in the desert. That was that bush that that was. It was tender dry, and it was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. A voice came and said, take off the shoes of your feet. The ground you're on is holy. That had been enough for me, I would have thought. But Moses, arguably, he didn't want to be a leader. Go back and lead my people. I'll be with you. Ah, but, you know, he became one of the greatest leaders of all time. Bible said he was the meekest man. A good leader can be a person that realizes that people are who Jesus died for, not a vehicle to build a church. People are not to be used to build a work. They are the work. Man, that's good. A leader is who realizes his mistakes and will admit them. I've known some leaders that I've never I didn't know they made mistakes. I didn't think they went to the bathroom like everybody else does. I never saw them out of a three-piece suit. I think they mowed their lawn in three-piece suits. And God forbid I ever heard them say they made a mistake. I never heard them say they made a mistake. I never heard them said they did anything wrong. None. But brother, that's not the kind of that's not the kind of leader the Bible's talking about. Peter, James, and John. You ready for this? Peter was number one, picked by Jesus. You agree with that? James, number two, John, number three, if you want to take it the order of the Bible. Think about those men. Peter denied the Lord three times, cussed and swore. And that was just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, James and John came to a village where they wouldn't receive Jesus and says, call lightning down from heaven and fry them. They're called the sons of thunder. James was killed, Acts chapter 12. Beheaded. Short ministry. John ended up being called the son, apostle of love. The three top guys that led the early church in that mistake made all kinds of mistakes. They had all kinds of transparency. Uh, a, a good leader, will, will. this is so important. In fact, all of this is important. I think it is. Who reacts to the ancient landmarks and respects them for his forefathers? Move not the ancient landmarks, your forefathers have said. You're slow to move something who people before you who had good cognizance and life experience and understood God and walked with God felt was necessary and essential. And you will be real slow to move it. Let me stop right here. Our Supreme Court, when they gave the decision on homosexuality and transvestitism, they could marry, overthrew the ancient landmarks of 6,000 years. There's two opinions when you have a Supreme Court decision. You have the, the winning opinion, and I call it the losing opinion. They don't use that phrase. But the, the losing opinion, which was four judges, condemned those five judges for being egotistical and full of pride that they would move 6,000 years of human history and declare that okay. You don't want those people in leadership. And they're there, and they're there. You want somebody in leadership who was in the word of God, not as a textbook, but as a love letter from God to them. Who forgives everyone who hurts them. Who was willing to obey the word of God over his own feelings, over his own wisdom, over his own tradition, and over his own understanding at the time, but is just willing to obey the word of God. Trusting God is going to turn out. A leader is a good leader is who gives God the benefit of the doubt in matters just too deep and too confusing at the moment to understand. It's been said no generation can judge its own history because they're too much in the history to judge it. They do not have an outside perspective and so they can't we can't judge the history we're in. And sometimes in life things are going to happen to you and you're just going to be too in it, to be able to say what's right and what's wrong, you're just going to have to trust God on it. You know what I mean by that? Somebody may get killed or somebody may get wounded or you may have cancer or you may have a hundred other things happen to you and you may say, Lord, I was just trying to serve you. I just was trying to do your will. What are you doing? You just trust God. He's going to work it out. But a leader for sure has to have that spirit. Have to just trust God. In matters too deep or too confusing and obviously, I mean should keep himself unspotted from the world, help the poor, help the widows, help the orphans, and of course, as God said, have the great commission at the forefront of his desire. So, Joshua and these other young men saw these people outside the circle, and they said, they were looking for a fight. Joshua was looking for a fight. That's the characteristic of a young guy. Let's fight. Let's fight. Last night... About 11.30 at night, I heard a gun shooting. Boom, 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 That's the kind of neighborhood I live in. Shot about 10, 12 rounds. Some automatic pistol. Sound like a 45. And then I heard him reload. How do I know that? Because there was a pause. Boom, 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 boom. 11.30 at night. Another 12 round. Another 12 round. Another 12 round. I said, that's a lot just to shoot your dog. Another 12, another 12. I think he did about, about six of those clips. And my wife said, let's, let's call the police. I said, man, I don't want to subject some poor policeman to come out here at midnight for a couple of drunks that I have 40 I have with, with guns. I'm not going to call the police. I don't want any police to come. I wouldn't want my son, if he was a policeman, to come out and deal with that. What about you? I figured, what are they hurting? They're just shooting at night, keeping us up. It's okay. But when I was 20, I'd have run out there with my shotgun, I'd have put a couple in the air and challenged them. Stupid. Stupid. I went back to bed, laid on my good ear, I had no problem. Couldn't hear. My wife got to sleep another hour and a half later. I went to sleep two minutes later because I really can sleep on the drop of a hat. She can't. Well, she's like a cat. She wakes up. She wants to think about stuff. Look, Okay, clean the house. Do something. I'm going to bed. But oh, this old Joshua, man, he wanted to fight. He had a high degree of sectarianism. Oh, I think as you get older, sectarianism gets pushed down a little bit. Do you believe there are Christians outside of Gospel Baptist Church? I think there are. You believe there are Christians outside the Baptists? I know you're going to have a hard time with this, but there are. But when I was first say, brother, if you weren't Independent Fundamental Baptists, uh, hellfire damnation! You weren't. You, you were really doubt whether you're going to go to heaven. But God's bigger than that. But anyways, they go to Moses and he's he's happy, he's happy. Let him go. It's okay. They're prophesying, talking about God, doing good. At least, and you know, I got biblical proof for that, and you don't want to stay to hear it. But Philippians chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, Paul says, some preach Christ of envy, some preach Christ of goodwill, some preach Christ with contention, some just to add to my affliction, others preach Christ of love. And he said, listen to what he says, Notwithstanding, notwithstanding, every way, including all those I just mentioned, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein, and that's a very narrow parameter, do rejoice. Yea, and will rejoice. That takes some maturity. That takes some life. The battle-worn old man tempered these young folks and saw the ultimate good that God was prompting and promoting and said, just leave them alone. It'll be all right. He that's not against us is for us. Heavenly Father, anoint us. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com,